0: Hey, everybody, it's Kendall from the Recording Lounge podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Today, we've got a really special interview with Philip Graham from Ear Trumpet Labs, a microphone company based out of Portland, Oregon, here in the U.S. So if you haven't heard of Ear Trumpet Labs, don't feel bad. Uh, I just found out about them about... A month ago, and a friend of mine is using some of their microphones out on the road, but uh, their microphones are equally suited to studio use Uh, Philip has a really interesting sort of design philosophy and uh, came up with some solutions to some common problems that microphones have, especially in a live setting Uh, so we got a chance to sit down with him and talk to him about microphones and mic design and uh, music and all kinds of cool stuff so stick around, it's a really great interview and check out their website, Ear Trumpet Lab Com. Okay, so tell our listeners about why you started the company. And I mean, I've seen a couple videos on your site about, you know, so you're talking about m- building mics for your daughter, um, but mm-hmm. go ahead and like, what's, you know, what's the mission? Why did you, why do you do this? Why do you, why do you make mics? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I did
1: get into it, um, you know, with the, the first mics that I started tinkering around with were yeah, just a pure DIY can I do this, uh, kind of experiment, but then relatively quickly, I guess, um, I, I had, I had these condenser mics, which are, you know, there's a fair number of DIY people that, that build their own, uh, their own mics for recording, uh, just because of my, um, experimental nature, I guess I had, I had made them out of these very odd, uh, plumbing parts and things like that for the, for the actual body parts and the design. And, um, so a bunch of musicians that I knew immediately wanted to start using them live because they were like, man, these look awesome. I totally have to have them sure. on stage. And that had really never been my um, my plan initially. But as soon as they started doing that, uh, I started realizing that, well, how much better uh, a nice condenser mic that was actually um Originally designed for for studio use, just how much better it sounded. Sure. In in live settings, and a lot of people that I knew at that time were were in the kind of folk acoustic scene. Yeah. Uh, here in here in Portland, and for those people especially, the standard live default of uh, you know plug your acoustic guitar. Yeah. And, you know, use its crappy uh Pizzo pickup. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, and jam a 58 into your face, it just made no sense to me. Like I just didn't understand why people playing, you know, relatively low volume acoustic music with beautiful instruments and, you know, subtlety in their in their vocal presentation were using that kind of setup. Sure. And with my early mics, um you know, it wasn't really much different than uh, you know, than taking any any um, standard studio mic and using it um, for that situation. So there were definitely drawbacks in terms of the, sure. the gain Which, that you get. I mean, could it's kind of like
0: why a lot of that doesn't happen because you know. You yeah, could...
1: but even with that, you know, even without having, um, you know, done anything specific to design for that, it still sounded so much better. Sure. And that was just sort of the light bulb that went off. And I guess the, the, uh, the specific impetus that's been driving me, uh, ever since on that project. And so, you know, I, I went and reworked a bunch of the designs specifically designing for feedback resistance and, and just making the small tweaks and changes that I needed to try and optimize for that. Yeah. No, I mean
0: what, what kind of things are involved in making a condenser less prone to feedback?
1: Well, the real key is keeping the uh the polar pattern consistent as far across the frequency spectrum as you can. Sure. Um and, and generally having a, a a relatively smooth response. Um, you know, the less obviously if there's if there's peakiness or resonance in the mic at any frequency, that's, that's gonna tend to be the, you know, a, a, a a feedback takeoff point. Sure. Um, but in particular, trying to keep that pattern really consistent across the, the full frequency response. And so, you know, how, how you go about doing that is, um, well, as far as I can tell, it's just by kind of, caring about it as you're, as you're doing the design. (laughs) And it's just something that, you know, studio, uh, I think studio mic design, um, just hasn't really ever had to care about. And so, and and so they don't, uh, necessarily pay that much attention to it. And obviously, you know, even frequency response directionally, um, you know, it, it is important. It's a big part of the sound of, of any mic, you know, how focused, does it sound, um, you know, what is the character of that that little bit of spill and room that you get from off your source? But having it sound good in a studio situation doesn't necessarily mean having it be uh, actually flat and consistent and non Sure. You know, just like all the, all the things that make large diaphragms interesting um, are basically their non-line- non-linearities. So...
0: And I find that a lot of times, you know, it seems, because I'm kind of with you on that, like a lot of times dynamic microphones have the exact sort of opposite resonance issues in like the upper mids that are the exact opposite of what I would want from like an Americana type vocal. Yep. Or an instrument. You know what I mean? Like they'll have, oh, like, hey, let's boost 4K by 10 dB. Yep. (laughs) And I'm I'm like, that's literally the opposite of what I want on that instrument. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, so I'm kind of with you. I'm like, I've never been crazy big on dynamic mics for, you know, every now and then there, you know, there are a couple of them out there that are like, wow, that's actually a pretty impressive sounding, you know, like mm-hmm. a 441. A Sennheiser 441 mm-hmm. is an uh, oddly flat <laughs> mic mm-hmm. for being a dynamic, but you're going to pay $900 for it, yeah. you know? I mean, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, well, that's a really nice dynamic mic. Mm-hmm. Um, but being, I'm a guitar player. And so I've always felt that problem on electric guitar as well, is that, you know, I'd put up a 57 Mm -hmm. and suddenly it's like why does my amp sound so bright yeah or why does you know what i mean that's not what my amp sounds like and yeah you know like it, now obviously it's kind of one of those like the balance of proximity effect and this and that you know and a 57 you put it an inch up, away from the grill and it's like suddenly oh okay well the low end is at least there but right yeah it seemed like to me that the the proximity effect off of a condenser even on a guitar cabinet, I, it just sounded better to me. And <laughs> and it didn't seem as, like, phony, and, mm-hmm. you know, the 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 top end always seemed a lot more just real and not so, mm-hmm. you know, focused, like uh, shifted into this little box, like kind of compacted into this tiny box of what they, that mic sounded like. Yeah. And, you know, of course, it's it's kind of, a I would say, like a noob- sort of thought that, oh, good microphones are flat microphones, you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, that's obviously not true. Like, every mic's got its own thing, regardless Mm -hmm. of if it's flat, Um, you know. But something about dynamic mics has always been kind of like, you know, you're getting that sound, and you you better like it on what you're doing, you know what I mean? Because, now, sure, there are certain things, like a dynamic mic on a snare drum is pretty Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't it doesn't sound odd to us because we've been hearing it forever. You know what I mean? Yeah. But on a vocal, I'm totally there. I've always been kind of like, especially in a live scenario. And I I totally agree with the when we're dealing with like folk or, you know, Americana stuff or anything where a big portion of that signal of the entire, you know, of the song Mm -hmm. could be a a heavy vocal, like a loud vocal. Mm -hmm. It's like, shouldn't that be as good you know what i mean it's like if you're if you're in a pop group let's say we're talking like a guy like a gavin DeGraw or something like that where it's like okay if he really wanted to make his live performance something that was super special in terms of let's say his piano sound he Mm -hmm. would probably use a, a real piano right and he would want to get as as good of a piano sound as possible, and it's like, okay, well, that's a big part of his music. Well, if we're talking to folk group, the biggest parts of that are typically an acoustic instrument mm-hmm. and a voice. Yep. So, you know, it's it's interesting, you know, that not many other people see that simplicity and want to pursue that. Like, hey, let's try making more live condensers, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> and maybe it's out of the fear of the problems that they've experienced, you know, feedback and you know, handling noise and
1: all that stuff. Yeah. It's interesting. I, i initially, um, I did get a lot of the sort of knee jerk reaction from both artists and, and engineers in particular, um, for live use, you know, the like uh, condenser and Mm -hmm. the eye rolling. And I thought that was going to be my, my biggest issue, like actually trying to, you know, make this a product and, and, and sell them. And, you know, I thought education on that that issue that like, no, you actually, uh, you know, it, it, there's, there's nothing inherently more feedback prone about condensers. It's just that they, most of them haven't been designed for this use. These have sure. Um, but actually over time, uh, I, I found maybe it's just that I'm gravitating more into circles that are <laughs> predisposed to agree with this point of view. Uh, but I <laughs> did, do, I don't find myself having to make that argument nearly as much anymore. And part of it is that, you know, I mean, uh, thankfully, uh, you know our mics are are out there uh, a lot more, um, and with a lot of top bands, and and I just don't don't get that kind of resistance or pushback that much anymore. And a lot of sound guys have now seen them, have now used them. Part of it, you know, we're we're dealing specifically with a lot of uh, like bluegrass and and traditional and old time musicians, and yeah. and they're they're already sold on that idea i mean they they hate plugging their instruments in Mm -hmm. and that you know it's just sort of a no-brainer to them sure um what sound they want and we're just giving them a better way to get it
0: yeah and this is sort of a small little side thing but i know from being a guitar player there are certain guitars that let's say old vintage guitars vintage acoustics or you know if we're talking folk like mandolins or banjos yep that you don't want to to drill into it and put a, you know what I mean? You don't want to put a pickup in it. Yeah, no,
1: absolutely not. I mean, and it would just, it just, it just makes no sense. I mean, it's both from the, you know, uh, integrity, the instrument uh, point of view, but it's like, I mean, why? If you're going to put a, if you're going to be using a, you know, an undersaddle pickup, like why the, why would you even pick up your, you know, your 1930s Martin for that? Like have a have a new guitar with an undersaddle pickup. If you have to use a pickup, do you know do that because it's not going to sound anything like yeah you, the instrument sounds like like yeah. why bother?
0: Well, and another thing that's frustrated me too is there are lots of companies that are they're making like dual source systems as they call them, you know, mm-hmm. where they have the undersaddle and the mic, but the mic is inside yeah a place yeah. that you never <laughs> that you never <laughs> mic up a guitar from yeah. Even on the outside, you don't put it near the sound hole because it's too boomy. (laughs) Right. And it's like, so the mic inside usually sounds terrible. Yeah. And it's like, so that doesn't help anything. And and I mean, who knows if they have like done some sort of crazy EQ curve on it to Mm -hmm. try to fix some of those issues that just exist from a terrible place for a microphone. And And it's like, all right, so that's not really that much better. It just makes it not sound so much like plastic it just sounds like a bad mic now right
1: yeah exactly (laughs) so I mean I I will say that I you know I do think the newest generation of pickups sound a hell of a lot better oh yeah um, than things did you know 10-15 years ago sure um they just don't sound like the instrument and you think about the subtleties of an instrument and hearing that instrument in the room and it's, you know, it's very specific tones. Like there's just no way to get that to, to even really hear that without, well, being at a certain distance. I mean, that sure. is just no, no instrument, no sound source, you know, is a point source. Yeah. You know, they all, uh, they all generate their, their tones and their resonances over the area of their, their bodies. And you know that's true of the of the voice too sure you know I mean uh, it, we we generate sound from like you know the bottom of your sternum up to the top of your forehead yeah um, so you think about you know you're singing into a mic from from one inch it's pretty much equivalent to uh, to putting a mic on a guitar from from you know three inches. sure it you know it it's just not really gonna sound the with the the full sound of the generating instrument
0: sure and it's funny because in the in the classical world you know they all get that <laughs> they mm-hmm. you know we're they're they would almost be like, oh my gosh, a cardioid mic? What are you kidding me? I mean, <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, you know, we're talking to miking a violin from three feet away with mm-hmm. an Omni. Yep. You know what I mean? It's not only far away, but it's an Omni. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there, there's something to be said for that for sure that most instruments tend to really sound. And, and again, it's part of it is like we've, we've grown up listening to instruments miked close in mm-hmm. productions for the last 20, 30 years. Yeah. And so our brains kind of imagine what a thing sounds like. And then, you know, if you sort of train your ears otherwise and start pulling the mics back and you realize, oh, you know, like it's okay to have a little bit of room sound like that's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's okay to to sound like it's a little bit more distant because that's actually more what that sounds like when you're sitting there listening to it. Yeah. And, you know, often when, you know, for me, that happened when I first realized that was when I first listened to a good jazz recording.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: When you know you're hearing room sound on a trumpet, and then you first try to record a trumpet, and you realize, oh, I'm in my bedroom, or I'm in a small little booth, or what, and, and yeah. it sounds awful. Yeah, yeah. And you're and you realize like, okay, so that doesn't sound right. And then you move the trumpet out to the hallway or whatever, and you're like. Oh, that actually sounds <laughs> way better. And then you know when you when you're a new engineer and you're starting to, to hear that difference, I mean for me, that, that was probably six or seven years ago when I first really sort of understood that the room was easily, you know 40, 50 yep. percent of the sound. And then yeah. you start
1: way more important than the microphone.
0: Oh yeah, then you start to realize like, oh, drums don't sound like drums unless they're in a good room and mm-hmm acoustic guitar and piano and, you know what I mean, a piano on, you know, there, there's a great quote from Bruce Wedeen that basically says, it's like, if you've got a piano on carpet, it's a useless instrument, <laughs> you know, whatever. It's like, gosh, okay, that's a little, <laughs> that's a little harsh maybe, but, uh, you know, it, there, there's very much something to be said for the acoustics of a space mm-hmm. and then, you know, and and that a microphone doesn't try so hard to ignore it. That, you know, that, because again, then you, then you get, when a microphone, it seems like a lot of mics that try to focus in very hard on the source, you know, with a tight polar pattern or this and that, Mm -hmm. they sort of say, okay, well, that's not important at all. I don't want it at all. But what a lot of times ends up happening is, okay, well, you can't, you can't get rid of it completely. And so what's left of that bleed, what that off axis sound is often terrible. Right. And so you know there's I'm sure you know I've never built a mic myself but I'm sure there's a lot of difficulty making sure that the off axis sound is equally pleasing mm-hmm. and that you know what's coming off of the back and the sides what what is left you know and is, isn't isn't going to sound like not a room right. you know <laughs> that um yes. you know and yeah, that's exactly and and what's especially when we're talking about Folk and those types of genres like most of those guys like reverb and room sound and you mm-hmm. know, what I mean like so that's Also a nice thing because you know when we're dealing with uh, you know, I, I'm not sure but is that sort of like your primary? Market do you have a lot of guys from other genres sort of coming into the works or is it mostly those sort of guys that are Interested in in backing away from a mic a little bit or oh, you know?
1: yeah, it's definitely that's definitely our main our main market, our main, our main interest. And, you know, we, we get interest from some, some other genres, uh, but, uh, you know, honestly our ours, you know, for, for loud rock and roll, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend, um, you know, our mics. I don't, I don't think that's the, the, the problem that they're solving. Although I, I mean, it depends a bit. I think, I mean, they sound great on, on cabs for instance, and they're, sure. and they're really nice drum overheads. Um, And so, you know, for those uses, but as a, you know, as a vocal mic, they're not necessarily the, the, the right option. It's just, you know, there, (laughs) there, there are uh, absolute physical limitations to like. Uh, on a really loud stage, you're not, you know, you just, sure, you, you're not, you don't want so much gain that that you can use it from uh, from six inches away because you will be picking up everything else on stage, uh, sure, really loudly, and that's, you know, I understand there are trade offs and compromises, and that, and usually in that kind of music, um, you know, that is where, you know, a sort of limited, focused, like predefined sound, um, for something like the lead vocal, um, makes a difference because it it does have to cut through, sure, uh, you know, um a lot of more aggressive sounds um, at the same time sure but yeah so so definitely acoustic music and you know in all of its broadest sweeps is is, is basically um, basically our market although you know in the studio that's um, um, not not nearly as true um, and sure you know, we do have a lot of studio engineers that that use and and like our mics
0: yeah now and see i'm I'm primarily a studio engineer myself and I would say that probably most of the people who listen to the podcast, our home studio guys, and mm-hmm. you know, whether they're recording themselves or other people, and so, in a, in a way, that sort of affords us a little bit more of a sort of leeway mm-hmm. when it comes to picking a mic because we can mic something however far apart we want, yeah. you know, and, and so we don't yeah. have to worry,
1: assuming you have a decent room, yes, exactly, until, yeah, exactly. That's
0: and, the... and, uh, and I'm always big on the podcast about talking about how important the room is and that's mm-hmm. generally the biggest problem that home studio guys have sure and then most of them don't admit it but that that is generally their biggest problem mm-hmm. um you know they they generally think it's cuz they don't have fancy mics or fancy gear or whatever and a lot of times you know it's it comes back to their control room situation and their live room situation. Both mm-hmm. neither are you know what I mean. Uh, yeah, are, are in are in shape and and half the time it's they have a one room situation, which right has its own challenges. Uh, many many challenges with that. It can be done, but mm-hmm. you know does have its own challenges. Yeah. So I mean, is that is is sort of acoustic music and folk music? Is that sort of the music that you that you like that you like personally? Um. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I, I have pretty. I actually have very wide ranging, (laughs) um, eclectic tastes. Um, but, uh, yeah, I listen to a lot of that. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm friends with a lot of musicians. I'm getting to know a lot more like, you know, real traditional hardcore, uh, like bluegrass players than I I ever, uh, probably would have listened to um, without (laughs) the mics, but you know, man, I I'm getting to really, really love those guys.
0: Yeah. And, I'm I'm definitely a a fan of that type of music myself. It's interesting because I I love all kinds of music, but when I when I write, when I play, when I pick up a guitar, I naturally sort of gravitate towards either sort of like acoustic based stuff or mm-hmm. sort of just like rock mm-hmm. rock. You know, on electric. I pick it up and I'm thinking, you know, anything from Angus Young to Foo Fighters or whatever. Mm-hmm. When I pick up an acoustic, I think you know. The Irish, the classic Irish songwriters, and mm-hmm. the you know, I mean, anything down to. I'm a big fan of bluegrass and Alison Krauss, and mm-hmm. you know what I mean. All those amazing players that play with her. I mean, of course, they're they're all amazing. Yeah, um, and uh, I love the, you know, the more sort of modern versions of of those like Chris Thiele and all those guys. Yeah, you know, just amazing players. You know, there's there's a, it's sort of a surprising movement that we have today of really amazing acoustic music players. Yeah. That you wouldn't expect, you know, with all the in in the background of all this, well, I I guess really in the foreground <laughs> there's a bunch of synthetic pop, you know, that's what's on the radio. That's Right. Uh that's what's pushed and that's what's uh, very popular and sells a lot of records. Yeah, but the acoustic was, scene is very healthy. Yeah,
1: in yeah, its own yeah. way. And I I have no idea in terms of uh, you know, in terms of record sales um but i don't know how much that matters to anybody anymore really sure uh, yeah but uh you know as, as a as a you know as touring musicians um, um you know and the festival scene is is really really strong and yeah there are there are an amazing number of yeah uh, like like musicians <clears throat> um sure. that really seem to be gravitating towards that towards acoustic um, kinds of sounds myself. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a very casual, uh, you know, kind of front porch, uh, player and sort of old time, uh, that way. And then when I get down into my basement, you know, I pick up an electric guitar and thrash some, some punk tunes out. Sure. So, you
0: know, a, a fairly yeah.
1: widespread myself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so tell, tell us a little bit about some of the different models You've got. I mean, you've got quite a few models of microphones, and some of them are maybe a little bit more geared towards smaller ensembles or close miking, and mm-hmm. others are geared towards more distant miking. So, tell us kind of the different, some of the different models.
1: Yeah, well, the most popular model that we have is definitely um, the Edwina. It's uh, um, a little more compact than than some of the others, um, and it's it's really designed more for a single source relatively close miking um, compared to, I guess, our other models and uh, and even standard um, large diaphragm condensers um, sure. for recording use. Um, it has some, uh, the main difference is it has some low-end roll-off built into it. Sure. Uh, just to counteract proximity effect so that you can throw it up on a stage and use it from, you know, its, it's real sweet spot is from three inches out to about a foot. Um, out past 18 inches or so it will, it will sound um, thin on the on the bottom end, but it's remarkably consistent over that pretty wide um, sweet spot range. So mm-hmm. from you know relatively close vocals, you know I'm talking three to six inches, something which you know is, isn't eating a 58 sure um, but can work um, you know with a full band um, even with drums for like an acoustic band or sure. largely acoustic, you know, even a bluesy kind of, um, you know, you got a, uh, an electric guitar or bass or something up there and a, and a drum kit and you can still work vocals from, from six inches sure. um, on most stages. And it'll sound, it'll sound great. Similarly, you know, putting it on an acoustic guitar from, you know, six to eight inches on stage or, you know, or in the studio or whatever. And that's, that's really, it's, it's, it's sweet spot. It's, it's, that's a little closer than, um, like with a with a normal large diaphragm you'd you'd probably be rolling off the lows um if you're working that close, but that's kind of a kind of a sweet distance for live miking uh you know a guitar sure and um you know and it's pretty much designed to be throw it up and 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 use it as is in those kinds of situations. It works you know because of that you know it it does work well out to to twelve sixteen eighteen inches. Um, it's also really popular the, the sort of single singer-songwriter you can just put that one mic up in front of you and do voice and guitar both acoustically really nicely yeah as you get more than one player we tend to recommend some of our other models that don't have that bass roll off although um, probably our our, our best sales people um, there's a group called the Milk Carton Kids not sure if you're familiar with them or if we're, your, your I audience might have, are they might
0: have seen yeah yeah maybe
1: um <laughs> fantastic, really, really fantastic acoustic duo, um, amazing songwriters and, and just beautiful guitar playing. Um, and really literally everywhere they go on tour, like, you know, we get, we get calls immediately afterwards from, from people in the audience and usually from the, from the live engineer, um, because they use a single Edwina, um, for the two of them,
0: Mm.
1: which is a setup that they, they switched to. They used to use kind of more traditional with a, they had a vocal and, and instrument mics on, on each of them. And um, actually, when they, they were experimenting with a single, using just one of the Adwinas, they were using all our mics. And uh, they had, I think, been experimenting doing a little, a little recording at home, and I know they had done a video or two using just a single Adwina, And uh, they went on Austin City Limits, and during the soundcheck setup, they were a little unhappy with how it sounded with the individual mics. And they were like, hey, let's just try the one mic. Still, I, I think one of the ballsiest performance moves that I have ever heard of. Sure, for their Austin City Limits show, they for the first time played with a a single mic, <laughs> uh, and they just put up a single Edwina, and um, and it sounded awesome. And they've never gone back, and they just they just love working that single mic and blending, uh, blending their sounds acoustically before it ever hits, uh, ever hits a microphone. Which is, you know, one of the one of the real advantages of that kind of um minimal miking technique. Sure, one
0: well, if and it forces them to really be in that moment and sort of yeah, just respond, you know, constantly be responding to what they're exactly. dealing with, you know. If they if they want to go for a section that they're singing really loud, they just sort of mm-hmm. have to work with that. And mm-hmm. if they don't, and they want to get close to the mic and have a real intimate section, they work with that and mm-hmm. I think probably to people in the audience. It's it's a really special sound because they're so – that is so uncommon. Yeah, and it's, it's and amazingly
1: it, engaging to an audience like that. Absolutely. You, you, it, it just draws in people's attention because um, you just you just see them feeling so engaged both with each other and with – I mean with the microphone. I mean they're, 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 that sort of becomes this, uh, this sort of focal point that um, the audience feels like they're, they're right there.
0: Sure. And Uh, it's almost sort of that like T-Bone Burnett philosophy of, you know... Like the most compelling way to listen to music is when, a, you know, when a band is all around one mic and, yep. <laughs> you yeah. know, and, and there's definitely merit to that. Maybe not in every genre, but, <laughs> right. you know, uh, yeah. you know, absolutely. It's, it's very interesting. And, mm-hmm. and so I've seen one of the other most popular ones I've, I see you have is uh, the Louise and, mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know, is that one a little bit more for bigger groups? Yeah. Those are the
1: ones, the Louise and the Myrtle, um, are the ones with the, uh, sort of, ring and spring suspension on them. And that's, they are really intended for that use in particular are They don't have that roll off and they're um, just because of the larger form factor, you know, they're, they're not so much meant to, to, you know, have in front of an individual player, but to kind of be that center center mic for an acoustic group. Yeah. Um, now, do those have
0: like a wider polar pattern as well? You know, they don't
1: really in, in measured terms, um, the Edwina, I, I will say that, yeah, in practice, I, I, even though I haven't really been able to measure it, the Edwina feels a little more focused, mm-hmm. um, but it still has a, they're, they're all of them, um, really just straight cardioid, like, yeah. you know, textbook cardioid pattern, but that's, you know, that's wider than a lot of people realize. Sure. And I think, again, that as we talked about early on, the real difference is that the um The tone is very, very consistent across that pattern, and that sure. makes it feel wider because you can come in you know almost from the you know the plane of the of the mic almost from sideways on those um like a louise or a or a myrtle and uh and you sound you sound exactly the same as you would head on you're maybe you know you know, four or five dB quieter, but sure. that's not re- not really that big a not really that big a difference. And then it drops off. You know, the, it rejects really well off the backside.
0: Yeah. Now, does that now does that factor into the diaphragm size as well? Because I've I've heard you know some examples of how you know comparing mics side by side, slightly. You know, if you have a really large diaphragm, sometimes that can lend itself to bad colorations, mm-hmm. as opposed to a slightly smaller diaphragm. Mm-hmm. sometimes can sound a little better off axis i mean what what have you experienced in that regard yeah that i i
1: would absolutely agree with and i think it's one of the one of the main differences um or one of the one of the main design tacks that i took um the the capsules that i use are like exactly one inch which is mm. you know technically large diaphragm but you know they're right on that boundary that's sure. usually people define it as one inch and over um, so but they are significantly smaller than the classic large diaphragm capsule designs
0: There's sure which may be 20, quarter meters you know what of, i mean yeah, something like that
1: 32, 34 millimeter and 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 these are 26 and that uh yeah I i'm I'm quite sure that has a a, a big difference definitely the larger larger diaphragms um, have more trouble holding the pattern at low and high frequencies both they'll they'll blow into Omni in the low frequencies and they will get tend to get, you know, not necessarily omni, but they'll get kind of weirdly lobed in the high frequencies, which is, hmm. yeah, where you get that kind of weird uneven um, or inconsistent coloration.
0: Now, have you considered making, like, tr- small diaphragm microphones?
1: I I have one uh, small diaphragm model. It's a 16-millimeter, um, you know, more of a classic, uh, you know, 184-ish. Sure. Um, and you know, and I like it. Uh, I really, I personally think it's uh, maybe a little nicer sounding than a 184. Maybe, maybe not <laughs> not as nice as an old 84. Maybe, but you know, it's kind of in that range. But the, you know, they're they're not very characterful microphones, right? Sure. You know, I mean, that's part of their their charm. That's exactly what the why they're why they're good is they are you know basically flatter and more linear, um, and that's super nice um, on many things. Sure. As a straight instrument mic, that's. That's often exactly what you want. Yeah, well, I mean, that's um, why
0: Mike's like the Sheps and the Neumanns of you know yeah. a lot of times been the go-to choice on acoustic instruments of all kinds. Because sure,
1: if you absolutely love the the sound of your instrument and want you know a, and and want to capture that um very accurately, that's the, they're a great great way to go. So yeah, as you get the reason to go with a, anything. Other than those is because you want some amount of character and and coloration. Really, honestly, I mean, there, there's no way that a large diaphragm is more accurate than uh, than a small diaphragm.
0: So what uh, what model did you say that was of the, the sm- uh, That's the Edna.
1: Edna. So it's a it's a side address, um, not not an end address pencil design. Gotcha. Um, but it is that same uh, small capsule size. And that
0: small capsule. Gotcha. And is that uh, something you've? I mean, is that more geared towards sort of the close miking as well, or is that one sort of?
1: No, that doesn't. Well, it doesn't really have any roll off, but a, a small diaphragm has less uh, has less proximity effect sure. than a large diaphragm as well. So it's still, you know, it's a very nice live instrument mic. But I probably wouldn't use it closer than six inches on something. Sure, but uh, yeah, from from you know six to twelve inches on an acoustic guitar, um, really really nice sounding.
0: Yeah, and I, I would almost argue just in general, like as my own personal philosophy, like I don't know how often you really should be miking closer than six inches anyway. Right. I mean, regardless of the mic. I mean, yeah. sure, on certain vocal. You know what I mean? If you're doing like a super super intimate pop vocal or something, maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. maybe so, but you're still going to have to roll off, you know, (laughs) you're, Mm -hmm. you're going to have to, there's no way, yeah. you know, unless you've got just a very small sounding voice, but Mm -hmm. that's, you know, the first one that comes to mind is like a, almost like a, like Sia or like, you know, someone who's super breathy and sort of female voice that's very breathy, very quiet, very intimate Yeah. that might, might benefit from that, you know, the intimacy of miking someone from three inches away, but for a lot of times, you know, you, you don't necessarily need to mic someone that close. I mean, mm-hmm. for any mic, regardless of size. Um, now, now here's an interesting thing. So, a lot of people don't necessarily think that, and, and to a degree it isn't, that, that the way that a mic looks is that important. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, you know, it doesn't really matter how it looks. I just care how it sounds. And it's like, okay, I totally understand that philosophy, but- mm-hmm. In a way, and it seems like maybe, you know, you you have this sort of philosophy as well that there's something to be said for a piece of equipment that is inspiring visually. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like a guitar. You know what I mean? You pick up a guitar that you is you know, it's like your dream guitar or something, and mm-hmm. you're like, Oh my gosh, this is the holy grail. Mm-hmm. And you just want you can't help but be inspired to play it. And you know, I find that I've so I've I've had the Edwina for about maybe a month now, um, maybe a couple, three four weeks, something like that. And so far, everybody that sees it is like, "Oh my God, what is that?" <laughs> you know, they mm-hmm. they see it and immediately they're they're stricken by it and they are surprised and they they want to hear what that what it sounds like. And that to me is really interesting because it's it's odd to get people who you know typically. Musicians aren't necessarily as technical and geeky as you know people like me that you record musicians. Yep. And to see them sort of light up about that is really interesting. I mean, what what thought do you have on that? I mean, because obviously your microphones look very unique compared to <laughs> anything else really that's out there.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. No. I mean, I, I absolutely agree with that, and I hear that from a ton of of studio engineers. And obviously, you like, I won't think that it would matter uh as much for for studio use you know clearly a, a, a in a live performance um it it matters and um you know there there are very very distinct and clear clear reasons why you you know you, you all of your performance is visual um you know as much as as much as acoustic and and just sort of drawing drawing attention and getting a a vibe um and sort of conveying to an audience is is super important but i've been really surprised with exactly what what you've reported from uh engineers that you get exactly that same kind of reaction uh from performers in the studio you know if they walk in and they're like actually excited to use something yeah and particularly with vocalists where you know getting them you know, it, they're, they're often really scared of the process, you sure. know, and they, they're, they're not necessarily enthusiastic and they don't, and they feel intimidated, but you know, it can even just that little bit of break in the ice and like, hey, wow, that looks really cool. What does it sound like? And they like, actually want to try it out and hear, and man, that can go a long way in, uh, in getting a good vocal performance.
0: Oh yeah. And sometimes like some of the classic microphone body designs mm-hmm. are like, oddly intimidating to put in front of your face Mm -hmm. (laughs) like some of Mm -hmm. them are very large you know and and you're Uh singing into this huge you know like a 47 style body that's large Mm -hmm. and and it's like oh gosh this is the real deal you know what i mean and they're all like
1: yeah and obviously everybody's you know psychology is a little different and you know for some people that's like yes this feels like you know every picture i've ever seen uh, yeah yeah. like they get this
0: sense of oh, yeah, well, I've seen whoever singing mm-hmm. into a mic that's like this, therefore I am them, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> and yeah. they they get in that mode. But there is something cool, especially when it comes to, oddly enough, it's it's weird. It's almost like you've tapped into specific shapes that folk artists like because <laughs> uh, <laughs> because it seems like when I have, you know, the more the folk artists or the more sort of like indie artists, they come in and they see these sort of like weird, you know, copper tube mm-hmm. and, you know, this sort of like... Head basket thing. They're like more intrigued than the people that are used to singing pop or something like that. You know, yep. it's almost as if they will sing better if they're singing into something that is cool. Yeah. No. I mean, well, you know, I mean, like recording vocals is like,
1: you know, it's eighty-five percent a psychology game, right? Sure. You know, I mean, it's yeah. it's always a performance more than anything else, and uh, and that's that's all just down to you know them feeling committed and engaged and, and not intimidated and, you know, confident in what they can do, whatever, whatever it takes.
0: <laughs> yeah, sure. Oh, absolutely. And and that's hard because sometimes there's no amount of sort of talking them down, you know what I mean? That, mm-hmm. that will really get them out of that headspace. Sometimes it's not the right day and mm-hmm. <laughs> they just got to come back tomorrow and try again. <laughs> um, so any way you can sort of get them in a mm-hmm. a place of feeling good, it's like, you know, awesome take it take the chance because if they're if they're feeling good then they'll probably sing good yeah absolutely and now from just from like the production side of things like is is this also a way that you keep costs down just by the sort of more almost like industrial sort of look of sort of either just the simple copper tube and the you know is that help keep costs down yeah i'm not um I mean I've never I've
1: never built or manufactured anything uh, another way so I I honestly don't <laughs> know for sure I assume that if we came up with a machined body design you know a more standard um kind of form factor um that we could you know I I could I could get the machine for me and probably it would be cheaper than all the handwork of putting this together but um it yeah I don't know, that's just not that's just not how I roll. Um, and it was, I mean, it's interesting at this point, I don't even really think about the visual design all that much. Hmm. I mean, sometimes when I'm, you know, doing a new, if I'm doing a new design or I get custom requests sometimes and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll play around with it. But I, I like, I really don't think about the, the visual aspect that much, partly because, you know, we have these, these designs are, you know, are, finished designs and, and we're, you know, we're basically in, in production doing them. Sure. Um, and even when I was, when I was first building them, I wasn't even really thinking about them all that much as a, um, as a particular, you know, aesthetic exercise. Like I was concentrating on, on making a microphone that would, that would sound good. And I, you know, I'm not a machinist, so, you know, I wasn't going to like start with a hunk of aluminum and make something. Yeah. You know, totally from scratch, and I was literally looking around my basement, like, "Hmm, what can I, uh, what can I put the circuit board in that will, you know, give it, yeah. give it shielding?" Oh well, I got this copper tube. Well, what yeah. can I seal it with, where I can also put an XLR connector in? And you know, oh well, look, this bushing fits. So <laughs> you know, it was, it really was like literally. Making it from you know pieces that I could you know either just find in a hardware store or or shape relatively simply myself with you know a, a little drilling and grinding and 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 bending and then playing around with that then you then you realize pretty quickly that like oh the physical design I mean especially the head basket um, it is the sound like sure after the after the capsule itself that you choose to use. That is the sound of a mic. Like it, it comes all from the the details of the headbasket. Just the subtleties of the reflections around the capsule are what define the sound. Way more than the circuitry. Hmm. So then, you know, with the specific materials that I had, then sort of playing with uh, the the exact design. Like, oh, how big a ring should it be? Um, where exactly does the capsule sit in relation to the you know the the rings? And the support structures that are, you know, that have to be there, and just a lot of trial and error, a lot of experimentation sure. on on that. But then, you know, that that's what gives me the sound of the mic, and I couldn't, I mean, I couldn't reproduce the qualities of this mic in in any other way, really. Yeah. Um, but it's been interesting as a production process. The huge benefit that I've had, really, is that, you know, they are all hand built, essentially exactly the same way that I built the very first. Prototypes of of each model, Mm -hmm. Um, you know. I mean, obviously, I went through some iterations and and uh, and and tweaking to arrive at you know at at each of these models. But now, you know, reproducing that, they're all just built exactly the same way. Sure, as as the original, it's 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 um, you know just just hand building and and. The nice thing about that is it's, you know, it's very little uh, capital investment. So I guess from that point of view, it is it is maybe less expensive, you know? So it's like I all I need to do is, is find uh, good people that uh, have, you know, the attention to detail to, to, to build them the way that I build them and um, just get more people on and I can build more mics, you know?
0: Yeah, sure. Now, it's interesting you mentioned about the like the head basket and things like that. So what, is there, I know it's um, obviously a lot of it is trial and error and testing and measurements and things like that. And, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. you know, and doing countless hours of like ABs and, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, but uh, you know, is there any sort of like, what's one of the most interesting things you've found about say head basket design that, you know, you never really thought would make such a big difference, but you know, that's not something people talk about often. I mean, One of the more common ones you see people talking about is like the U67 head basket, you know, that Mm -hmm. that's like a, it's a special thing and that helps it, Mm -hmm. you know, do something. (laughs) No one really has a good answer. Is there anything interesting that you found about the head basket that you'd never really thought about before? Oh, it really
1: is a black art. I mean, that's the thing. I don't think anybody (laughs) has identified, you know, what's great about that, you know, that 67 basket either. It's like there are just very specific things about the, the, relationship of the capsule to especially any of the larger elements, um, in the head basket. And I, I mean, I just, I don't, I, I'm sorry, I don't really have any, any hard <laughs> and fast rules that I can, you know, that I can define that way. You know, I, in, in my case, it's largely tweaking the exact forward and back placement of the capsule, um, in relation to the,
0: the ring. Sure. Um, and what about like sort of the, the density or the I don't really know how to describe the f-
1: of the screening.
0: Yes. Yeah. Is that have you messed with that a little bit or um, kind of- We've used largely
1: the same um, because yeah I did I did mess with it early on and could find no um, no real difference. I mean it appears as far as any of my testing came to it's it's essentially acoustically transparent. And sure makes no real difference that i've <laughs> that i've found um you know uh, uh, to a point um there's uh there's a silk mesh uh or a silk in between two layers of of uh of wire mesh um that's meant as a um you know a sort of lightweight plosive protection and and general general wind protection and that um there's a there's a density you don't want to get that too dense uh, or sure. it becomes a, a, a real low, low cut filter that, that will affect the sound. Um, sure. Cause that's what it, it it is essentially. I mean, as a, any, any wind filter or plosive filter is, is filtering out extremely low frequency. That's what a, a blast of air is. Um, sure. So, but that's the only, the, the mesh itself I have, I, yeah, I tried some various thicknesses and and densities and depths, and it, it I I couldn't make out any particular uh, any particular difference with that.
0: And I'm always curious, you know. I've never built a mic like myself, so I'm always kind of like, well, I wonder how much you know, and mm-hmm. how much time people spend dealing with those types of. De- I mean, with a
1: lot of the uh, modders, you know, you hear about stuff like yeah, taking out the. F- Find the inner screen on certain models, and they think it really opens up the highs. And I'm like, mm, I sorry, I really don't think so. Um,
0: yeah. I mean, oh, I I've definitely heard the same thing, you know. And I, to me, it's almost like, well, so you get more of a chance of plosives. <laughs> I, yeah. You know what I mean? I, yeah. Yeah. I, maybe. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and the, you I know, mean, you're more likely. That stuff is more likely. To
1: affect the high frequencies, um, but yeah, I I have not found that the, that the screen density really really does um, really does much in that
0: regard. Um, yeah, other than that, I'm trying to think. Um, I mean, do you find that even like the head basket size, like oh sure, so you've got your your diaphragm in there, and you've got this sort of surrounding. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Sure, definitely. That, I mean, I'm it sets sure, up. Sure, there,
1: there are resonances in there that you just. I mean, there's no way to get around it. Anytime you have you know material that close, there are there are resonances, um, and they will be at, at at specific frequencies. And you know where they that occurs in relation to the capsule. You know, is like, hmm, is that does that resonance affect uh, the back entry of the capsule more than the front? Um, thing things like that. Hmm. Uh, that again i don't i i don't have any any uh any model for really uh that's that's sure. why it is uh, as far as i'm concerned just just experimentation and i don't know whether there are i don't know maybe there are elaborate uh <laughs> elaborate acoustic models in you know in some uh, in some back lab uh sure somewhere yeah um i don't know other than knowing that 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 does affect it yeah sure the size of the ring around it um so we have another model that's uh Uses the same capsule, but has a somewhat smaller diameter head, and it doesn't have the rings around it like the like the Edwina, um, the, the the sort of face plates. Um, that's the Chantel, and
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's it's intended more as a it's a little more of a standard looking form factor and mm-hmm. um, address, and so you know it's intended more as a close vocal mic. Although, you know, in response, it's not that different than an Edwina. Um, it has more it has actual foam pop filtering built into the, into the screening. Gotcha. So that's, you know, that, that's one difference, but you know, just that, that the simpler head ring and it's a little smaller, so it's a little closer to the capsule. Um, but other than that, it's the same capsule and, and, uh, virtually the same electronics and it definitely has a, a, a different sound. It's not, not radically different, but, um, and in some ways, well, I think, I think, almost nicer as a, as a sort of standard closer vocal, hmm. but yeah, uh, uh, definitely a, a, a
0: subtly different, um, but, but clearly, clearly different, um, tone. Interesting. Now you mentioned, you mentioned custom work. Now I read on your website somewhere that some of your models have even come out of custom orders from people, mm-hmm. um, sort of just filling, requ- like what kind of custom work do you find yourself doing?
1: Well, largely, uh largely at this point it's just it's sort of uh um you know t- little tweaks and 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 uh and aesthetic <laughs> um
0: mm-hmm.
1: tweaks and, and changes and decorations and you know we'll hand stamp uh you know people's people's names and band names and things some of the more elaborate customizations are are uh you know people with with distinct aesthetic uh ideas or visions or whatever and you know i mean the, the biggest one that came from a uh, from a, a custom customization request was uh, the myrtle hmm. that whole model we we had the louise and we had the edwina and uh, a guy that has a uh 30s like straight ahead 30s big band um swing big big band um yeah retro full full deal tuxedos and all uh <laughs> uh in london um there's apparently a big a big sort of you know retro tea dance scene hmm. in uh, fancy hotels in london um, and so he had, he requested a vocal mic that would work largely like the Edwina would have, would be used from a little bit more of a distance, but he really wanted something that was really aesthetically had the look of the, the classic, like 20s spring suspended, um, sure. kind of hockey puck, uh, carbon mics, I guess. Hmm. And so, you know, just kind of played around with it a little bit and was like, Hey, well, actually if I use the Edwina, um, head basket, but spring suspended, it. You know, sort of like a Louise, and then you know we kind of played with what the spring layout would look like to to make it. And that and so it 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 is our most sort of classically retro looking um, design. Like from a distance, you're kind of like, yeah, that's totally the 1930s. Sure. Um, yeah. But you know, it has all the sound quality. Uh, um, it's kind of a hybrid of the Edwina and the Louise in that it it, it doesn't have the bass roll off because you you. you you know, it's not really comfortable to use super close. Um, sure. So, uh, but the sort of a somewhat mellower tone that the, that the Edwina has compared to the uh, compared to the Louise.
0: Now, I noticed. Um, I noticed on your website you had one that was um, like an XY mic for the Decemberists. Yeah, that right?
1: that's right. And I have done. Yes, those are still those were purely custom builds that are are still not standard models. Um, yeah the uh, the live engineer for the sambras is a guy I know in town, came up, yeah, to, just asked if I had something that, that would work really, really well for a stereo overhead. And, and so I just kind of played with that, around with it. And now I've built another one or two of those um, that are also out on major national tours at this point. And they're, the engineers that use them are, are absolutely in love with them as, as overheads. And that's, you know, I mean, I guess if if somebody's looking for a really nice uh, X <laughs> Y yeah. uh, drum overhead, get in touch. I I definitely can build them. I haven't really gotten around to sort of uh, lining them up as a as a standard uh, product. They're kind of a bitch to build, um, mm. so they'll be they're they're <laughs> definitely fit
0: fit all that inside of
1: yeah. Definitely you know, a one- little pricier, um, but yeah. They're they're really really nice,
0: but I could imagine one of the one of the spots where to me an XY type mic or some sort of stereo mic in a single you know single mic stand single mic clip mm-hmm. uh, situation that would be really useful. I mean overheads obviously, but uh, piano is another one for me. Piano is a hard instrument to mic, you know, yep. and yep. it's a very large instrument, and it's an instrument that sometimes it already is riddled with like all kinds of its own resonances, and yep. Yep. you know, so you you often need microphones that are that are just going to try to capture that as naturally and beautifully as possible without having to get too close to it or, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. and that would that would seem to be a great, you know, especially if you could get a mic that, you know, I, there was, I forget which mic of yours that has it, but there's one of your mics that's got a, a pretty significant lift up top in the highs.
1: Yeah, it's the Louise.
0: Yeah, and... Uh, So I imagine, man, that would probably be great on a piano. I mean, uh, you have that nice airy, you know, top end when you can back that mic off a little bit from the piano. And so it's not, you know, six inches above the hammers, but, you know, more like on the lip of the piano, somewhere there, where you could still kind of get that stereo. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, I'm kind of more of this because I probably because I'm not a pianist. I'm kind of like not I'm not crazy about like super wide piano sound. Mm hmm. Um I find that kind of distracting to me, you know, and you got this piano that's like low notes are in your left ear and Oh yeah. Uh, that yeah. seems very odd to me and <laughs> so that would that would seem like a very good option. So that's that's really interesting. Yeah, you
1: know, that XY it definitely does. That's one of the I I have not uh personally um done much uh at all with with miking pianos, but that that XY custom one, that is one of the uses, one of the other engineers, not the Decemberist guy, but the the other one that's out there um, is with uh, Andra Day, um, and uh, her front of house engineer um, normally uses it uses it for the for the overheads. But they had a they had a show at Carnegie Hall, and uh, with a full you know full piano, and uh, used it on that, and, and wrote back to me immediately, and was like, oh my god, this you know <laughs> <the> best <laughs> I've ever heard.
0: Yeah, I mean piano piano can be really tricky. Mm-hmm. Um, now here's i from some of the philosophies of this sort of practice of building mics that you you've shared sort of your thoughts about sound and things like that i'm surprised that um you would almost expect a company like yours to make ribbon mics sort of by like the ooh, the natural sound of mm-hmm. things you know and l- some of the only companies with that sort of mindset are ribbon mic companies mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. not a lot of condenser companies are sort of taking that approach of like, well, stuff tends to sound better when you, you know what I mean? When you don't yep. jam a mic right up in its face. Um, you know, so I, have you ever thought of making ribbon mics? Have you made any?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, yeah, I love ribbons and they're also, they're also really attractive just for, for uh, DIY tinkerer sure. kind of guys because they're, um, they they're really disarmingly simple to to build and there's something really satisfying about building your own your own motor sure uh yeah i i i, I love them and i built a few myself for my own use but um honestly i there's kind of two re- reasons why um ear trumpet doesn't doesn't really do any um one is I, i'm not sure that i Anything that I built really brought anything particularly particularly new or wonderful hmm. to the to the to the sound. Um, I mean, I guess I would probably find a way to put them in a really interesting, cool-looking housing. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, other than that, um, I I just didn't haven't you know cracked a nut of like uh, wow, this is this really does something that um, that no other ribbon on the market does. And I think you know there are a lot of really really good. Um, ribbon makers and and um, that are m- making better and better and better sounding um, sure. mics out there. I think there are a lot of options of really really nice sounding ribbons. Um, and then the other one is that you know yeah we are fairly uh, you know we're so we're heavily into the into the live sound yeah. scene, and I still don't really see ribbons as being a, a a super practical option. There they you know there are definitely ways to use them live, um, and they and they can sound amazing in the right circumstances there. So that's not you know, necessarily sure. so much of a hard and fast thing. I mean, as the guy who's been advocating condensers for live use, <laughs> I guess <laughs> maybe I should tackle that. I have heard about some really interesting n- newer directional, like cardioid uh, ribbon um, designs, coming out that that looks super mm, interesting yeah
0: well and you know obviously if we're talking like you could probably use a ribbon on a guitar cab live without you know too much blowback or anything oh, But yeah um sure you know, for the yeah. for the folk artists they might not get a ton of use out of a you know
1: yeah exactly they're they're really good on relatively loud sources where you don't you know the the, the back lobe of the eight doesn't matter that much um sure yeah. so yeah on cabs and on horns is uh is where you'll You'll see them a lot,
0: yeah,
1: because um, they do. I mean, they sound super sweet, and and yeah, you have a loud enough source, and you just don't mind the backling. But yeah, trying to trying to trying to use a pure figure eight on stage on a on voice or guitar is not likely to work. Sure, well. and
0: you'd hate for if there's ever a situation for you know a ribbon snaps or whatever, and when you're dealing with a a vote, yeah,
1: the fragility is all other Yeah, a whole nother, that's, yeah, a that's its
0: problem. own slew of problems. That mm-hmm. and then of course when you get a ribbon mic that's. Durable enough to withstand that sort of thing, they're typically very, very dark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and you've got that sort of stiffer ribbon, the thicker ribbon. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And you've got uh, all kinds of weird, like screening and things like that, that are to protect against over flexing and this and that. Right. And it's like, well, then it only sounds yeah. good on trumpet and guitar cap <laughs> <laughs> uh, because it's too dark for a you know to a, for a vocal or or whatever. Mm-hmm. The other interesting thing we have in the
1: works is. Um... Uh, another custom job actually that I've finally been pressured into uh <laughs> doing a a mic designed for um acoustic bass upright bass mm. and, yes
0: very tricky instrument to record yeah
1: and I've been you know since I've started doing this i like literally every bass player i've I've come across has been like, uh oh, you gotta do a bass mic I'm so unhappy yeah. they're all really unhappy with you know with any of the options that they have. And, um, finally worked with one of my, one of my favorite bass players in a, a, uh, local old time band, um, Nadine Landry from Foghorn String Band. And, um, um, she finally pressured me into, uh, into trying out a new design and she's had it out on the road for a month or so now. And she absolutely loves it. And, uh, and she started, posting about it. So now I'm getting swamped with people asking for it. And uh, are you you thinking about
0: making it an official model? I think
1: it's gotta be, yeah, it's gotta be an official model coming up. It's essentially the Chantel um, that I was talking about that, that similar, Mm -hmm. similar to the Edwina, um, but you know, with a smaller, a little smaller, tighter head, uh, head basket. Mm -hmm. And then basically um, with a head separated from the body, and um, you know, a, a, a cord, the you know mic cord between the two, sim, similar to the way the Edwina has it, but you know, longer. Yeah. And then the the body can uh, can strap onto the tailpiece pretty easily. Mm. Um, and then the head um, just has a, a washer on the back of it that that uh, slips between the strings, um, between the tailpiece and the and the bridge, and just kind of right in that position where lots of people. You know, one of the sort of standbys, at least in the old time world, is like you jam a fifty-eight um, between your strings right there. Sure, and people really, really like that sound. Actually, I mean, it's uh, if you're gonna have to close mic, it's it's not it's not a bad not a bad position, not a bad place, and it gets you know this mic gets you a similar kind of deal, but with uh, just a lot more detail. And a lot more sure. natural sound.
0: Yeah, well I use the uh I use the Edwina on upright and I thought it did surprisingly well. You know, um, mm-hmm. having having less of that proximity boost. Yep. Yeah,
1: if you have to be that close, you definitely want to be rolling off the lows. Yes, uh, and it's
0: uprights really tricky, you know, it, it it's a yeah. large instrument that has to be played yep. very well. And yeah. and they, I'm
1: not, you know, I'm never going to claim that that's going to be anything closer than uh, you know, than a couple of feet. Um sure. again it's the same issue as you know, as with a as with a guitar, only magnified. <laughs> sure. blown up. Um uh is really gonna get the 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 true full sound of the instrument. But yeah, you know, I mean that's why acoustic bass is such a is such a problem live. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, because you just you can't afford to mic anything from from three feet away, um, you know, with a with a relatively loud band. So sure.
0: You and know, it's and hard because, uh, you know, a really loud, like resonant, full bodied sounding upright bass can mm-hmm. cost $15,000, <laughs> Yeah, you know, and it's, that's a hard <laughs> thing. You know, a lot of guys are not using the, you know, top of the line. Yeah, I make three of these a year, <laughs> you know, upright basses that yeah. only the best performers can even afford. I mean, that's incredibly right. expensive. And yeah.
1: That's not what most people are, are hauling around, uh, no. Yeah, to play, you know, bluegrass festivals, even where you know they do care a lot about the sound and the tone, but they're yeah, they're not bringing those. Yeah. Uh, in a lot of cases, you get a ton uh, from a from a nice um, single mic setup. You actually do get a, a fair amount of the bass. There's all uh, everybody you know uses some something supplemental on the bass, so they're not really worried about uh, having to get the bass through the central mic. Um, sure. So there's always some kind of DI or or close mic on the bass. Um, and this I think just does really nicely to provide that that supplement. And then um, there is often a lot of really nice full bodied bass tone in the in the central mic if you're doing a classic uh, bluegrass you know, gather around setup.
0: Yeah. Now now do you have uh do you have any recommendations for people um, you know that are primarily home studio guys in terms of uh, just sort of your own personal philosophy on miking acoustic instruments. I mean, are, do you have, have? you learned any sort of like nuggets of golden information along the way that that you could share? You know, that you're you want to tell the world, hey, stop doing this on your, <laughs> you know, on your acoustic guitar recordings or uh on your, uh, oh, you know, mandolin recordings. Yeah, well.
1: Sure. Well, I mean, you know, the basics that that you know. I'm sure most of your most of your listeners probably probably already have. Stay away from the sound hole. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, would be kind of number one. Um, yeah, listen on acoustic guitar. Definitely try different different positions. You know, I I almost always come back to the you know twelfth fret, mm-hmm. kind of pointing across the body, but you know, there's. Over the shoulder can can be um can be really nice. You know, it kind of sounds more like how the guitarist hears it. Sure. But yeah, no, giving giving as much space, I think, as you as you can, um, with the trade-offs of, you know, how much room sound do you do you really want, um, or can you afford to have if your if your room isn't great sounding. Mm-hmm. In a in a moderately good room, but not necessarily um, not necessarily wonderful Um, figure eight can be really, really nice hmm. in giving you just that s- hint of space sure. without sort of, you know, throwing it into full Omni and like, yeah, that had better be a really nice space. Sure. But you know, figure eight, I am, I'm, I'm very, very fond of figure eight in, in a lot of situations for, sure. for exactly that with like giving you just that bit of um, just that bit of sense of space that that can often work well in even in not not totally ideal spaces. Sure. And I only I only I have one model that's a that's multi pattern that actually has uh, that has a figure eight option. Um, but you know there are obviously a lot of other mics out there with with good figure eight sure options.
0: And well, it seems that figure eight also just sort of. If you have a, say, a multi pattern mic, you know, it seems when you switch to figure eight, the tone the tone definitely changes and it seems a little, mm-hmm. it's weird. It almost seems as though the, the tone gets more, a little more forward sounding. Yeah. But yet you get that extra space. And mm-hmm. so it kind of offsets this sort of like, oh, well, it sounds a little more like up yeah. front, but has space at the same time kind of thing.
1: Yeah. It's, uh, it's always, I mean, in any mic, it's going to be a little different, you know, mic to mic to mic, but in, in, Almost any multi pattern that I've ever used, it's always a, a very different tone. Sure, um, and so that's you know be very aware of that as like yeah, that's a whole nother tonal flavor that you have um, just by just by flipping into figure eight. And even if you even if you like dead in the back, you know, even if you put, yeah, you know, if the uh,
0: space is not a question at all, if you're just looking for a slightly different tone,
1: right. Yeah, exactly. And you know, put a put a drape around the back, so you're really not getting much of the back sound at all. And it's still, you know, it's a it's a tight. And part of it comes. It's both a both a change in response that kind of always kicks in, but also that, um, you know, e- each lobe is much narrower than a cardioid. So you you are. It is actually a more focused um, a more focused sound, where you're just not getting um, nearly as much sort of side or off access.
0: Now, this is a question that I've always had, and you probably can answer it for me. So polar patterns. When you have a multi-pattern microphone, mm-hmm. I've always I've always been confused as to what actually creates the different patterns. I mean, I'm assuming it's some sort of like voltage thing that, you know, if it's, I'm assuming with like a multi-pattern mic, you have to have sort of a dual diaphragm. Or I mean, you can you explain sort of how those pol- polar patterns are created?
1: Yeah. Uh, well, they're a little different in the different basic models of mics. So a, a ribbon is is a is different, um, so we'll set that aside. Sure, set that aside for now. Yeah,
0: yeah. That's mostly how it's just the nature right, of right.
1: Yeah, I mean, a ribbon. The a ribbon is a natural figure eight. Um, it just it picks up evenly from the from the front and back and cancels um, almost perfectly at the side because it's a it's a single single membrane. Um, so with standard condensers, yeah, it's um, it's two diaphragms, and really each of them is essentially a cardioid. Pickup pattern, and so I mean, you you get cardioid by having a small acoustic delay to the back side of the diaphragm. Hmm. So you can do well, my my capsules are actually single diaphragm. Um, most of the standard classic uh, large diaphragm capsules are, are dual diaphragm. Even if they're fixed cardioid, they have a essentially an inactive back diaphragm. Interesting, um, which isn't actually one of the other reasons why um, why the capsules that I use are are. I think better at, at, keeping their, their frequency response, even, uh, hmm. or their the polar, the polar pattern, even through the, through the frequency response. But, um, at any rate, each, uh, there's a, there's a small acoustic delay built into the, the capsule from sound waves, reaching it from the back. And there that delay is designed so that for sound coming from the back, it, it, Exactly cancels out w- when the sound reaches the front. Interesting, and um, and you get you know ideally zero response. There's there's really usually only one frequency where you'll you'll actually get zero response. Um, sure, but uh, so that's a that's how you get cardioid. Um, basically, is a is a small delay, and that's why you always have to have acoustic access to the back of a of a cardioid capsule. Like you like mm. blocking the back of a cardioid capsule will actually turn it omni. Um, Interesting. Yeah, so then the multi-patterns, the other patterns that you get um, are essentially from combining the voltages uh, that you get from those two opposite-facing uh, diaphragms, um, each of which is essentially uh, is essentially cardioid. I mean, for cardioid, you just ignore the back, uh, the second diaphragm. For uh, figure eight, you get them both in... You, you accept them both, but in opposite phase. Hmm. And so they then act exactly like the single ribbon of a ribbon microphone does, where like, you know, as, you know, picture a pressure wave, like pushing that ribbon forward and back and that, you know, picture the voltage that you get with that. Sure, sure. It's just the opposite parts of that wave. So a figure a figure eight microphone essentially sort of reproduces that uh, when, when you put a, a, a condenser into figure eight. It basically reproduces that by having the, you take the two signals and flip the polarity mm-hmm. on one of them, and then uh, if they're both in the same polarity, then it's an omni, and they're they're basically just both picking up. Um, you're just kind of picking them both up. So mine, I mean, actually, the one that I, the multi pattern that I use, it actually uses the same capsules as the Aduna. It's two separate cardioid capsules back to back. Interesting. Rather than you know most of the most of the classic, uh, uh, you know, Neumann based capsule designs, um, have the two diaphragms sort of built into one capsule, but that they're essentially functionally, uh, functionally the same.
0: Interesting. Well, cool. Um, well, I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. Uh, I know it, you know, it's, you, <laughs> I always wonder if people are, you know, kind of annoyed to do interviews like this or anything, but hopefully, <laughs> hopefully it wasn't too bad. Yeah. Hopefully it wasn't annoying no, for you.
1: Luckily people aren't, uh, aren't exactly banging down my door to, to, to interview me. So I don't know. Maybe maybe one day I'll be famous enough to be annoyed, but <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm I I very like to, happy.
0: Yeah, I like to support the uh, the small companies that are doing cool things, and another big thing that we didn't really even mention is that your microphones are not crazy expensive. Like, some of these smaller, you know, boutique companies will just bump up their prices like crazy because, you know, they, they know that they're doing something unique, and so it's like, oh, $2,000 for that microphone, and you know what I mean? yeah. And most yeah. people can't afford that. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's a fine, you know, it's a it's a fine line to walk. But you know, ultimately, I I just, you know, I I really want to have them in the hands of working musicians. Um, and that's there's just there's just a point that you can't you can't go above and and uh, and actually get them out there uh, with. Uh, other than the sort of weekend warriors, you know, sure. doctors and dentists.
0: Well, especially now more than ever, the the place that the industry is in right now, it's like mm-hmm. you know, it' not an easy time for to people just throw around yeah. money. You know, yeah, um, exactly on gear, especially especially live because you need something that is gonna be it's gonna be road tested, that works, that, Mm -hmm. you know, that sounds good and that isn't crazy expensive to the point of if something ever did happen, if it got lost, stolen, broken, Mm -hmm. whatever, it wouldn't be a nightmare to, you know, oh my gosh, that was one of one, you know what I mean, like, Something like that, and but yet it's it, you. Still, at the same time, we're all aspiring to get the best sound out of our stuff that we can, whether it's yeah, yeah, exactly. our instruments or our mics or our rooms, whatever. We always mm-hmm. are pushing. You know what I mean? We're always. Every, seems that musicians and engineers both are are always pushing, mm-hmm. pushing that line of how how much better can we get it? Can we change this one mm-hmm. little thing? And you know, maybe get? Can I change my guitar strings and maybe get a better sound? Can I, <laughs> you know, and, so, and just anything? You know, we're always hoping we can get that little bit so Mm -hmm. i think it's great that uh that you guys are making mics that people use and can can get something interesting and and can bring something unique to their to their stage visual but also their sound and and cool and really sort of draw people in and so uh, kudos to you for 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 tapping into that i think it's really cool yeah thanks So I just wanted to share really quickly some examples of the Edwina in action. So here's an example of the Edwina on acoustic guitar. example I'm going to show is of the Adwina as a drum overhead. So what you're hearing is the Adwina over the drum kit and a kick inside mic and kick outside mic. So I put no snare mics or tom mics or anything else just to show how the Adwina picks up the kit from above. So this last example is of electric guitar, so this is about 3 to 6 inches away, I don't remember exactly how far away from a Deluxe Reverb, uh, just played clean. I don't know how well this mic would do necessarily on a distorted guitar, but on a clean guitar sound that is uh, not a super, super loud amp, uh, sounds great. interested in learning more about Ear Trumpet Labs, the different models that they've got, the different mic models, or different artists that are using Ear Trumpet Labs microphones on stage or in the studio, head over to EarTrumpetLabs.com. There's a lot of great info over on that website. And if you buy a microphone from Ear Trumpet Labs, make sure to mention the Recording Lounge podcast in the notes on the checkout. I'm sure they'd appreciate to know that, uh, that we're the ones that told you about them. So uh, anyway, guys, I appreciate you taking the time to listen to this podcast. I hope it's been informative. Uh, for all things Recording Lounge, you can head over to RecordingLoungePodcast.com. If you have questions, comments, show suggestions, topic ideas for me to talk about, uh, interview ideas, anything about the podcast, you can email me at podcast at gmail.com or fill out the contact form on the website RecordingLoungePodcast.com. That's also where you can find links to our resource hub, which is basically just a huge list of links of cool things that can help you in your pursuit of better sound. And also, you've got links to PayPal and Patreon for those of you that want to support the podcast financially. I highly appreciate all the people that have done that so far. It really helps me offset the cost of doing this podcast, which I don't really make any money from. So uh, anyway, I highly appreciate all those people that have done that. It's very, very helpful. Um, The new website especially has added a new cost to the equation. So um, those donations and Patreon pledges are welcomed and appreciated. So again, uh, I'll talk to you guys very soon. We've got some cool episodes coming up, some more great interviews and some good topics. So I'm excited for the future. I'll talk to you guys next time. Thanks.